Well, if you want to find your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, be in Matthew chapter 5, I want to just ask, have you ever had an echocardiogram? Um, So perhaps you've made a visit to the hospital, and what they actually do is you can see your heart on the screen. Well, at least what sound waves produce. And now when you look at it, it may not mean a lot to you, but to the trained eye, they can tell as they see your heart working and pumping blood if there are problems, and they can assess if there's heart disease. Now, I want you to know that God's word, the moral truth that he presents, functions like an echocardiogram. And we can actually see what's going on in our heart when we read the word and have the Spirit of God bring about a sense of understanding of what's really going on in the inner person. We see actually Jesus doing that in the Sermon on the Mount. At different points uh, in chapter 5, he's going to bring like an aspect of God's moral law, but it'll expand upon it so that we can see what's going on in our heart. We see this evaluation here. So for instance, like in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 21, Jesus makes the statement, says, you shall not murder. And you're like, quick, dismiss that one. Don't think you have to worry about it. But actually then Jesus goes on to explain the whole intent of the law. If you're angry with someone, you're harboring bitterness, rage, you call someone a fool, Jesus says, you're guilty. Your heart reveals disease. Something's not right. Or then he goes on, beginning in uh, uh, verse 27, he says, you shall not commit adultery or commit sexual immorality. Now, when you hear these words, you're like, well, I haven't run off with someone else's spouse. I, I think I'm good. But then Jesus goes and uses one of these words, pornea, where we even get our word pornography, speaks of impurity and, and any sort of uh, wrong approach to a sexual relationship outside of marriage. And he says, is there any hidden corners in your life where this sort of darkness and purity is going on? It shows up when he gives his word. Or he, like at different points of scripture, he talks about stealing or theft, that you shouldn't do it. Now, maybe you're not one who's like breaking into houses, but have you just kind of occasionally taking some, taken something when you're in a store? Or are you robbing perhaps your employer, stealing things here and there on the side? No one will ever know. Do you owe the government something that, well, I'm just going to hold back on this? Or do you even owe God? Like, this really belongs to God, but I'm holding on to it, even though he's placed it on my heart to give. You see, the word of God reveals what's going on in our heart. Or, for instance, like, you shouldn't give false testimony or bear false witness. Now, you're probably, if you're under oath, you're going to speak the truth, but Have you misrepresented the truth? Have you massaged some of the details to make yourself look better? Have you cheated on an exam at school? No one will ever know that I'm just kind of copying these assignments and turning these in. The Word of God kind of functions like an echocardiogram. Or libel and slander. Have you ever just kind of started taking chips away at someone's character, doing it with a text, 
or on social media. That person that they kind of offended you. And so you're going to assassinate their character. And so you do. You just go out and you say all these things, some of which you know not to be true. You see, what all of this is revealing is that our heart actually harbors a lot of impurities. And an honest and close examination actually shows that indeed there are problems within. And I want you to know that when we have impurity dwelling in our heart, it leads to loneliness, bitterness. There's an angst. There's just like this gnawing awe that something is not right. And so many people with this huge heart problem, what they do is they try to numb it or they try to find some ways to kind of medicate the pain to kind of get through it. All of the while, it's actually complicating the, prayer, the problems. It's making even matters worse. And in the midst of all of this, in these huge heart issues that every single one of us has, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, when he says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I mean, this one statement leads to one of life's greatest dilemmas. There is a longing on every single person to see God, to know God, to have a right relationship with him because we have actually been created for God to know him, to love him, to enjoy him. But here is the great tension. Our hearts are oftentimes filled with all sorts of impurity. And so we have this eternal longing, but it's met by this temporal reality that indeed impurity resides deep within. And Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. Those who are blessed have the God-given capacity not only to enjoy his goodness, but to express it to others. So how is it How is it that we are going to experience this kind of blessed life? That's why this verse is so very important. What every disciple needs to know about purity is so critical to our pursuit of knowing God in this life. And I have a feeling that this verse is probably a lot more important than we have given credit to. Now, who is... Jesus speaking to. When he makes this statement, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, who's he speaking to? Well, chapter 5, verse 1, he is speaking to his disciples. Remember, a disciple is one who is in an intentional and relational process of maturing as a Christ-centered believer and is being mobilized for ministry. They are a learner. They are a follower of Jesus. So let me tell you what every single disciple needs to know about purity. First of all, you need to know that purity is a work of God. He talks about the heart. Now, when he says, blessed are the pure in heart, what is the heart? The heart is the center of personality. It's your will, it's your mind, it's your emotions. It's that combination of all of them together. It's, the Greek word uh, is cardia, uh, where we get with the words like cardiac and all the related words. 
It's your heart where all things come together, your mind, your emotions, your will. And he says, blessed are the pure in heart. And I want you to know something. Only God could make a person's heart pure. How much impurity, sin, do you think God should allow in his presence in heaven? You want to say like 5%, uh, 0.5%, 0.05%? The answer to that question is zero, absolutely none. Why? Because God is absolutely 100% completely holy. Sin has to be addressed. He can't allow any sin. You know, we see this like, for instance, like in the Olympic Games, when you have Olympic athletes and they're competing, they are drug tested to make sure that they're not using any sort of banned substances that gives them the athletic edge. And if there are any traces of any of these performance-enhancing drugs in their system, you know what? They're disqualified because they were not competing according to the rules. They had a banned substance in their bodies, and they're disqualified. The same is true with us. The very presence of sin disqualifies us. That's why God must provide purity. And that's exactly what he does. Let me give you some great verses on that. In Titus chapter 2, verse 13 and 14, we see this. You see, the purity that we need and long for is only provided by Christ. What we need is sovereign grace. Titus chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, listen to these verses. It says, we are looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed, and listen to this, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Do you see that? He's purifying for himself a people for his own possession. What God does is he gives us positional purity. The righteousness, the perfect life, the perfect purity of Christ he actually places in our life, on our account. We can't earn it. We can't do anything for it. I, I know that people think like, hey, I want purity in my life. So what they try is they, well, I'm going to adopt some certain morals. I'm going to be uh, aesthetic uh, or I'm going to use some different things like asceticism. I'm going to try to work my way. I want you to know that that is going to still leave you just as corrupt as when you started. What we need is a purity that only God can provide. And that's exactly what he gives us. To the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned as righteousness. That's what God gives. His righteousness when our faith is in Christ. So how do you get this kind of heart? Well, let me just tell you. You realize your sinful condition. And we all have it, right? But second, we repent. There is a brokenness, a remorse. We see that sin has led to a separation with God. There's a sadness over it. There's a turning. That's what the word repent means. And then we receive the grace of salvation and forgiveness of God that's found in Christ Jesus. We put our faith in him, not our good behavior, not our desire to try to clean up our act, 
we receive the 100% pure righteousness of Christ, and we do so by faith. You know, if the uh, echocardiogram of God's word is revealing that there's something not right in your heart, and you've never trusted in Christ, that's what you want to do right now. And no matter what we've done, where we've been, what we've said, do you know, like it says in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For it says, for the law of spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Your mind might say like, yeah, but you did these sort of things. You said this or look at how you behaved back then. I want you to know that God sees you in Christ and you are 100% cleansed. You are pure. You see, purity is a work of God. And it actually takes place in our hearts. You know, sometimes we refer to people that have placed their faith in Jesus as they have trusted God or they've accepted Christ in their heart. And you've probably said that. I remember years ago with our oldest, Ashley, when she was just a little girl, she was in the back in the car seat. You know how they are with their little legs kicking up and down, you know? They're just going through life, having, living their best life right there. And we were having like one of those spiritual conversations, you know, where I'm just trying to talk with her, just trying to encourage initial faith in Jesus. And Ashley in the back seat made this startling declaration to me. She told me that, Daddy, God is in my heart and Jesus is in my tummy. I'm like, "Uh, that's good to know. Let's keep talking. You always want to encourage any signs of initial faith when you see it in your kids. It may be a difficult concept for kids to understand, but I want you to know that it's in the heart, our emotions, our will, our mind. That's where God does his work because that's where he resides. And like it says in Romans 10.10, it says, For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. So what does every disciple need to know about purity? First of all, it's the work of God. But let me tell you another thing. Purity is a way of life. You see, our position before God, it's permanent. But it's sometimes there's some pretty big discrepancies between our position and our practice, like how we live in this life. Now, you see, we're not robots. We just don't have like our mind programmed and we just kind of just make all these mental decisions without ever thinking. Nor are we like animals or pets that are like trained to behave in certain ways. We're people. We're humans. We have a heart. There's the combination of our mind and our will and our emotions. And we interact with all of this external stimuli that's coming at us. And at the same time, we have our own desires and we're processing all of this. So external stimuli is met by these internal desires and processing. And yet, that's the life, that's where life is lived. It's in our hearts, and that produces our thoughts and our actions. It decides so much of our behavior. And yet, notice what Jesus said. He said, blessed are the pure in heart. What does that word pure mean? Well, it has two primary meanings. First of all, purity means free from any contaminants, like no germs, no dirt. Uh, the Greek word is katharos. 
We get like our word catharsis from it. We use it in counseling or psychology, which refers to kind of like a cleansing of one's mind or their emotions. So to be pure is to be contaminant-free. But the other way that this word was used, pure, spoke of something that was complete through and through. Like, you're familiar with this. If we say something is pure gold, we know that is 100% solid gold. That's different than, like, gold-plated. Like when I was in high school, I don't know what caused me to do this, but I saw this gold chain at a gas station where they're selling it. I mean, that's where you're always going to find gold jewelry, right? But it looked decent. It was super cheap, so I bought it. But uh, it didn't take very long for it to actually start turning brown and even green. It was kind of gross. You know what it was? It was not pure gold. You see, these, these words, the, this word pure, it's referring to the fact of like metals that every little bit of dross, anything impure has been removed so it's in a pure metal. And when God speaks of our heart, he says, blessed are the pure in heart, absolutely clean and solid through and through. Much of the Jewish religion, by the time of Jesus, got to a place where it was just kind of performance. The focus was on the external. And so when Jesus arrives, he says, actually, it all gets started from the heart. That's the most important thing. In when purity is our priority, we experience the presence of God. So what are the areas that we pursue purity? Well, let me throw some out. There's like in our relationships— in our ethics, theology, our faith, our morality, our motives, our internal drives. We, we want to pursue purity in all aspects of life. Do you know that God's great goal in our life is that we would be a people of love? that we would have purity being demonstrated in how we live our life, especially how we love others. In fact, he says the whole goal of our instruction, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, he says, but the goal of our instruction is love from a, and there's our word again, pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And yet, we know this, and this is why God has given us his word. He is looking to cultivate and bring about purity, but yet, we've got some serious internal struggles. Yes, we understand that positionally we're absolutely pure and we're right with God, and yet in this life, we struggle with impurities, right? We struggle with our flesh and sin and desires that are like, where in the world is this even coming from? If you want a great explanation of what this looks like, a description, Paul actually writes of his own experiences. The Apostle Paul, in Romans chapter 7, He talks about the great angst going on in his own soul. He talks about beginning like in verse 15, where he talks about, you know, that I'm I'm doing the very thing that I don't want to do. I'm practicing what I do not like to do. There's something wrong. In fact, he goes on to say, I find that the the principle that evil is present in me, the one who desires to do good. I've got a desire There's spiritual desires that are absolutely pure. I want to live right. I want to walk with God. I want to honor him. I want to live pure. 
And yet I find there is a war being waged within my own body. That's why it's so good to know that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And yet we want to pursue purity in this life. It's a way of life. So how do we do that? How do we pursue purity as a way of life? Well, let me give you two approaches that are going to be very important. First of all, you need to filter what comes into your heart. Let me give you a word, giardia. So if you're a backpacker, you spend some time outdoors, you only have to have giardia once. These little microscopic parasites, they live in like the backwaters, um, rivers, streams, ponds, lakes. Um, I've actually done some reading on this. It's in a lot of other places that are probably pretty familiar with you. I don't want to scare you. I know, if there's an, I know there's a lot of that going on right now, but I want you to know that it is a very prevalent waterborne disease. Now, you only have to have giardia once to know that you never want it again because these little parasites, they might be small and microscopic, that they can cause some pretty significant intestinal issues. And though they might, that all that might go away in a couple weeks, sometimes it can last for a long time. And so if you're an experienced hiker, someone that's used to being outdoors, you know that you just don't start drinking that water out of that river and that lake until you either filter it or you purify it through boiling for about at least 10 minutes. Because you've got to get those impurities out. You don't want giardia. You don't want those little microscopic parasites floating around in your intestines. I want you to know the same is true with our heart. We need to filter what's going to go inside. It means that you've got to take an active role in your faith and with your mind. Asking questions, is this true? Is it helpful or harmful? Is this holy? And God has given us the great filter in Philippians chapter 4. You can just remember this, Philippians 4 filter. It's going to keep you from a lot of sin and keep out a lot of stuff that is going to make your soul really sick. And it's found, Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 8, where he says, this is the filter. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. And the things that you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So you need to filter what goes into your mind. But second of all, you need to focus on God and the condition of your soul. Like it says in 1 Thessalonians 4.8, God has given his Holy Spirit to you. The moment that you put your faith in Christ, God actually places his Holy Spirit in your life. And the Holy Spirit is given to cultivate holiness in life. That word holy means that you are set apart, that you are set apart to God. And so that's why, like it says in Proverbs 4.23, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. You cannot be passive in your spirituality, just kind of floating around through life and just kind of putting your mind on autopilot. No, you exercise discernment and you focus on God and his goodness and you actually have a concern about about your soul. So you delight in God. 
I want you to know that holiness is happiness. If you want to be happy, Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, right? Matthew 5, 8. Let me tell you, it's found in holiness, being set apart to God, taking an active role in realizing the great privilege it is to be a child of God. You want to develop depth, maturity. You're walking in the Spirit. You want to find that there are certain practices in your life where you're like reading the Word to have your mind and your heart renewed with truth, that you're praying, that you're asking God help, hope, renewal, to believe what is true. You want to find yourself in a situation where you're developing these patterns. Having friends that walk with God and pursue purity is so very helpful because bad company corrupts good morals. It happens all the time. And then just even speaking about like purity with the opposite sex. I remember years ago when I was in college, uh, I was introduced to these two verses by a guy that was discipling me. First Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. This is golden. It tells us exactly how we should relate to people. It says this, Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters. And then he adds these words, with all purity. Ah, I tell you, if you see relationships like this, you're going to find yourself so very much freed from all this internal angst and struggle, these purity issues in your heart, and you're going to find that you can just really enjoy people, and that's what God desires. You see, we all have our temptations. First Corinthians ten thirteen. God says, I will always give you a way of escape. You don't have to give in. And when we do sin, First John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friends, I want you to know, pursuing purity, these are daily decisions. Decisions to say no what to say yes to, decisions to say, God, I just need to come again and confess this before you. And so I want you to know this whole process of pursuing purity, what God is doing is he's conforming us to the image of Christ. We are becoming like him, and it's all being done through the work of the Holy Spirit. So what does every disciple need to know about purity? Well, you need to know that it's the work of God, but also It is a way of life, but let me give you one other. It is, purity describes the worshipers of heaven. You see, the complete fulfillment of this verse, Matthew 5, verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This divine promise occurs at Jesus' return and in the eternal state. It's the ultimate purity. It is perfected purity. This is what God is going to give He is going to bring us into his presence. The very moment that you give your last breath, you enter into the presence of God and you will have an experience forever, absolute purity. It's like it says in 1 John 3, 2, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he really is. 
This is really going to happen. We are really going to see Christ. This isn't like, well, you're just going to have some insights about God. No, actually, the best translation of this would be that you shall continuously be seeing God for themselves. It's not like we get to heaven and we're going to get like a glimpse of God because there are just so many people. It's like we're somehow we're going to continuously behold Christ. It's unbelievable. It's amazing. This is our reality. And purity describes those who are the worshipers of heaven. So like if you go to the book of Revelation, like in Revelation chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, Jesus is writing a letter, having a letter written to the church at Sardis. And he makes these statements. Listen to this. He says, but you have, beginning in chapter 3, verse 4, but you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Isn't that an awesome hope? They will walk with me in white. Not because of anything that they have done, but what God has done for them and in them. And then he goes on to say, He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments. And I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. And you know how the book of Revelation ends? It ends with the fulfillment of exactly what Jesus saying is saying in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Revelation chapter 22, beginning in verse 3, it says this. There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his bondservants will serve him. So that's what we'll be doing. We'll be serving him, but listen to what he says next. And they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. God will bring us home and we will be eternally pure and holy. You see, purity describes the worshipers of heaven. When Karina and I got married on our little wedding program, we had Jude 24 and 25 put down there at the very bottom. But we wanted to make sure that everyone that was coming to the wedding would know where our hope is. And it says this, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. Do you hear that? Blameless with great joy. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Friends, what a glorious future. You see, purity describes those who are worshipers of God. Now, for a minute, I'd like you to envision, just imagine a glass of water, okay? So maybe you've got a glass right there on that table by you, but I'd like you to just imagine a glass of water. You know, remember what David said? He said, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. You know, that's what God does. Judicially, in the moment of our belief, he does it. Practically, during our earthly life, through the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And then finally and completely, 
at the moment of our death when we are purified from all evil and we're brought without spot into his holy presence. Well, I want you to be imagining that glass of water, and while you're imagining it, I'd like to actually show you one. Now, here's a glass of water. And let's say that this glass represents your heart. Now, if you listen to what Jesus is saying, blessed are the pure in heart, but you just dismiss it, you disregard it, I want you to know you can fill your heart with all sorts of evil, all sorts of impurity, right? So for instance, you know, like there's like lying. And let's say that just kind of features into your life. And so you start pouring some, you know, just lying kind of happens on a regular basis. Or maybe you just allow um, yourself to just like, well, I I could steal some things. Not a problem. Maybe um, it's, uh, it's lust, it's porneia, and, it, and it's featuring in your life. I, I want you to know, man, that, that's going to really cloud things up. Maybe uh, another one is like greed, like mustard here, kind of just representing greed. Oh, look at that. It's just all gross. Ugh. And I want you to know that if purity is not pursued, not understood, or not valued, this is kind of like your heart, and it sets in. Would it be a good idea if I tasted this? Uh, I don't think I could do it. I'm pretty sure it'd make me sick. And so here's your situation, and yet there's this longing to want to know God, and, and you really would want to see God. And yet you have all this impurity in your life. And so people say, you know, what I've got to do is I I need to actually somehow fix my life so that I can see God. So some people actually do this where they're like, you know, I think I'll just start pulling out some of the the junk in my heart. But yet it's, it's all still in there. In fact, you can't get it out. Some people say, you know what, I'm going to really clean up my life. I'm going to get religion. Uh, I'm going to start actually uh, putting lots of discipline in my life. And so it's like you're putting like Germex, right? And and that's going to clean up my life. But does that really actually do anything about all the impurities that are residing and living in your heart and making you so very sick? No, actually, it doesn't. So what do we need to do? What we need to do is we need to go to Jesus. We go to Jesus, who is the living water, and we say, God, I confess my sins. Will you cleanse me? And what, what he does is he, he starts displacing all of the evil and sick and impure stuff, and he, he brings about purity in our life. In fact, You develop patterns in your life, and I want you to know there's going to be impurities. There's going to be times you sin, but you say, God, if I you said if we confess our sin, you're faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I want you to know, friends, that that's what God does. He brings about cleansing. 
He brings about a fullness of life. You know what happens? He brings about purity. You see, friends, purity is a work of God. Purity is a way of life. And purity describes those who are worshipers in heaven. Let me give you two verses that will give you so much freedom in this life. So much cleansing. It's found in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 22 and 23. And it says this, Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And let us hold confast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Friends, we're ambassadors of Christ. We are kingdom citizens, and we are living in a broken world. Friends, if we live knowing that purity is the work of God, we pursue purity as a way of life, and we know that it really describes those who are worshipers in heaven. Friends, what a way to live. You'll begin to see God everywhere in this life, but you'll have the most certain hope that you will see him face to face in the life to come. You see, when purity is our priority, we experience the presence of God. Let's pray.